Today I want to read to you a second scripture passage that provides some necessary context for the passage that we're going to be looking at today in 2 Peter. This is Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to the end, and the beginning of chapter 17, and it's the story of Jesus and a couple of his disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm going to be reading to you from the Message Translation, this is what it says. Again, Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 24. Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? Don't be in such a hurry to go into business for yourself. Before you know it, the Son of Man will arrive with all the splendor of his Father, accompanied by an army of angels. You'll get everything you have coming to you, a personal gift. And this isn't pie in the sky, by and by. Some of you standing here are going to see it take place. See the Son of Man in kingdom glory. Then the beginning of chapter 17, six days later, three of them saw that glory. Jesus took Peter and the brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain. His appearance changed from the inside out right before their eyes. Sunlight poured from his face. His clothes were filled with light. Then they realized that Moses and Elijah were also there in deep conversation with him. Peter broke in, Master, this is a great moment. What do you think if I built three memorials here on the mountain, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah? While he was going on like this babbling, a light radiant cloud enveloped them and sounding from deep in the cloud, a voice. This is my son, marked by my love, focus of my delight, listen to him. When the disciples heard it, they fell flat on their faces, scared to death. But Jesus came over and touched them. Don't be afraid. When they opened their eyes and looked around, all they saw was Jesus, only Jesus. Coming down the mountain, Jesus swore them to secrecy. Don't breathe a word of what you've seen. After the Son of Man is raised from the dead, you are free to talk. Several years ago, I was driving a car from Florida back up to New Hampshire. We had flown down, I was riding with my son Brian, and we were driving up the east coast of the United States. And it was at nighttime, and we were heading into a big city, New York City, the biggest city. And uh, we were approaching one of the bridges, and the traffic was getting heavy. And unfortunately, I had thought, I'll just wait until after we get through New York City to stop for gas. Well, I didn't plan on getting stuck in traffic and preparing to go on to the tolls and all of these lines of traffic, and it was extremely stressful. I did not know how I was going to get out of this situation. I had pictures in my mind of being stuck there, running out of gas in the far left lane with six lanes of traffic bumper to bumper on the other side of me in the big city and it was incredibly stressful. I didn't know 
how I was going to get out of that situation. Didn't know if I was going to be able to cross all of those lines of traffic to get off of the highway. Didn't know if I was going to run out of gas. It was extremely stressful and I wanted to find a way out. Welcome to Cornerstone Online. I'm Pastor Brian Foreman, and today we're going to be talking about finding a way out, finding a way back home. And we're talking about it, of course, from a spiritual perspective. It made me think of this particular verse. This is Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 21, and also verse 22. And this is what it says. Voices are heard high on the windswept mountains, the weeping and pleading of Israel's people. They are in mourning. They are weeping. They are crying out. And why? For they have chosen crooked paths and have forgotten the Lord their God. When you are a part of God's family, when you're citizens in his kingdom, and then you wander off of that path, that is a miserable place to be. And sometimes we can get so far off track that we wonder if there's even a way to get back to where we need to be. So what is the Lord's message to people in that situation? We see it in the next verse. Return, faithless people. I will cure you of your of backsliding. I will cure you of backsliding. What we see here is that God loves to make a way for his people to return to him. Again, welcome to Cornerstone Online. This is our weekly experience where we inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, knowing that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. And if you are new here or you've just never let us know who you are, we'd love to be able to welcome you personally and stay in touch with you to encourage you along in your spiritual journey. So if you're new here, start here. Text the word new to our church number 603-225-2550. And as I said, today we are talking about returning. And what we'll see in this passage in 2 Peter is that God loves to restore the wayward hearts. That word that's translated backsliding in that passage in Jeremiah, another translation describes it as wayward hearts. These are people who have gotten off track. And sometimes you wonder if there's any way back, but God loves to restore wayward hearts. And the way that we'll apply what we've heard today, the challenge that I will give you is to return. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means in just a second. But we are in this series on Second Peter called Stirred up. And the key verse, and I hope that you'll actually memorize it over the time that we're in this book, is 2 Peter 3.18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The whole book, the whole letter, is designed to encourage you to make spiritual progress. And if you have been off track, God's heart, God's pastoral heart, shepherding heart towards you is to bring you back in the fold. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. All right, so let's look at it together. This is Second Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 12 through the end of the chapter, and then the first couple of verses of chapter 2. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Therefore, 
I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life, so I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we thank you, Lord, for the faithful testimony of the apostles and the way that you move to record scriptures through your holy prophets. And I pray, Lord, that as we look at it, study it, read it today, that you would speak to us today and that you would apply it to our hearts so that everyone listening will hear exactly what they need to hear from you through this passage today. Open our hearts and minds. Give us receptive hearts, ears to hear, eyes to see what you would have us to see and do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage that we are looking at today, the Apostle Peter begins to address the main issue that he wants to deal with in his letter to the churches. And I'm going to remind you of some of the contrasts and the focus of this message. We looked at a little bit of this last week, but it leads well into the focus of this passage today. A little bit of compare and contrast to 1 Peter, which was our last series, and 2 Peter, our current series. In 1 Peter, the problem that he was dealing with was opposition from outside authorities. What do you do when people who are in power over you are not necessarily for you? And how do you handle that as a follower of Jesus? So that's what that whole letter was about. This time it's a little bit different because they're dealing with corruption from false teachers within the church. And you see in this passage, he begins to talk about that. 
in the verses that I just read, he says, there will be false teachers among you. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. So he is reflecting a pastoral shepherding heart for his people. He wants to make sure that they are protected from the wolves among them and not led astray. He wants to make sure that they stay within the fold and on the right path. The main topic, therefore, that we were dealing with with 1 Peter was authority, but in this book, 2 Peter, we're dealing with accountability because the main thing that these false teachers were doing was they were, number one, teaching that it really didn't matter what you did because Jesus was not going to come back and hold you to account. There was not going to be any accounting for our behavior. There was not going to be any judgment. So it didn't matter what you did. That's the way they lived and that's what they taught and encouraged others to do as well. What the Apostle Peter is saying is, no, no, they have got that all wrong. There is accountability. There is going to be an accounting for the way that we live our lives. And if you were watching the earlier in the complete service, I showed you a video of the Apostles' Creed. And so this belief that Jesus is coming back and that he is going to judge the living and the dead has been a part of our faith from the earliest days. It was codified in the Apostles' Creed. This is the line, from there, returning from heaven, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. The false teachers were saying, no, that's not gonna happen. Don't worry about it. The Apostle Peter is saying, no, that's actually the gospel. And he's going to tell them that in this accounting, that God knows how to rescue the godly from evil trials, and he knows how to hold the feet of the wicked to the fire until judgment day. So he's going to rescue his people, and evil is going to be judged. And so the main application in First Peter was to do right. Even if people are over you, who are not for you, you keep doing the right thing and God will make sure that everything turns out correctly for you in the end. But in Second Peter, he is countering the false teaching of these teachers by saying, no, it really does matter what you do. And because Jesus has gifted you new life, given you all of these precious promises that allow you to tap into the divine power and participate in, share in the divine nature, that is, you're going to be more godly, you're going to share in God's character, that it's just part of the gospel that you are supposed to grow, you are supposed to make progress. We looked at this verse last week. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. In other words, the gospel promises that you can become more godly. You can change from the inside out. And so the encouragement that he gives is don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given. The false teachers are in essence saying, whatever Jesus did for you, you can destroy that, you can tear it down, it doesn't matter. The apostle Peter is saying, no, the gospel is that God has gifted you new life, and so you live in that life, you build on what you've been given.
in this letter, Second Peter, you can see very clearly the pastoral shepherding heart that Peter has for his people. And I think that that reflects God's heart for his people. Jesus is the great good shepherd and we as pastors are under shepherds that are to reflect that heart towards his people. And I think that's what's going on here in Second Peter. That's why when I see Peter teaching the people, warning the people, encouraging them to return to the gospel, I think that that reflects God's heart and that God does love to restore wayward hearts. And we can see in this passage some of the ways that he does that. First thing that I see is that God wants you confident, productive, and useful in your faith. Very often, part of the thing that leads us astray is that there are sometimes things that we wonder about. We see this in this passage when the apostle Peter warns that these false teachers are going to introduce destructive heresies that are gonna lead people astray. Strong words, but it's just this idea that sometimes doubts get planted and God, his design and desire is he wants us to have confidence. He wants us to be confident, productive, and useful. What do the false teachers do? They are show up among you and then lead people astray. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. But what the apostle Peter sees his role is, is to stir them up, literally. That's where the phrase for this series came from, to remind them. This is verse 12 of Second Peter chapter one. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things. I stir them up for remembrance is the way it's literally stated. And what he says there is, although, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. He wants to make sure that they are confident, that they are standing standing firm, that they know the, with assurance the things that they've been taught are true. And then before that, he has said, the more that you grow like this, remember the whole purpose of the letter is to encourage them to make spiritual progress, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says, when you do that, when you grow, you're going to be productive and useful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, we said that knowledge was not just head knowledge, but it's the idea of knowing someone personally, experiencing. He wants them to know Jesus personally and to experience him and to grow in their faith so that they can be productive and useful. If you're ever wondering, God wants you to be confident. He wants you to be productive and useful in your faith. And when we get knocked off track, when we start to backslide or have a wayward heart, then we know that our confidence is going to suffer and we're not going to be useful and productive. Your heavenly father wants you confident, useful, and productive, and he loves to restore you 
to that place. God loves to restore wayward hearts. And then the second thing that I see, again, the pastoral heart of Peter reflecting the shepherding, good shepherd heart of Jesus is that God wants you to know that you can trust the scriptures. Very often, the reason that we don't have confidence is because some doubts get planted about the trustworthiness of what we've been taught and the trustworthiness of what we see in the scriptures. And the apostle Peter deals with that in two ways. Firstly, he talks about the testimony of himself and the other apostles. He wants them to have confidence that what they've heard from the apostles is true. Now, where is the apostles' testimony, the apostles' teaching for us? We don't get to go and talk to Peter and James and John like they would have been able to at this time, but we have their testimony, we have their record in the New Testament scriptures. So God wants you to know that you can trust the scriptures. This is what Peter says. We were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, the whole subject of this book is all about accountability, accountability. And the false teachers were saying, there's not gonna be any accounting. And Peter saying, no, actually Jesus is going to return and he's going to return in power to judge the living and the dead. And that's what he's referencing here. He's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration where God revealed Jesus in all of his glory the same way that we're going to see him when he returns. He says, we weren't making this up. We actually saw it. And therefore, we have confidence that when Jesus returns, he's going to return in his power. The kingdom of God is going to come in its fullness because we saw a preview of that on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter was able to say, I was there. I saw Jesus in all of his glory, the way that he's going to return. And you can have confidence that we are telling the truth. We didn't make this up. We didn't start this as a story. We experienced it, and the whole world is going to experience it in time. He says, we saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes, emphasizing that he is an eyewitness. So the first thing that he says in order to give us confidence in the scriptures, God wants you to have confidence in the scriptures, is to remember that this is the eyewitness testimony. These people actually lived with, walked with Jesus, saw his glory revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration, put their finger in the wounds of the resurrected Jesus. They saw him die, they knew he was dead, buried and gone, and then they saw him alive, raised from the dead. He wants you to be able to trust that you have the eyewitness testimony of these amazing events in the scripture. Then the second thing that he points out, because he wants you to have confidence, is that there is a God element to this as well in the recording of the scriptures. He says, because of that experience, what the apostles experienced, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. Now here, he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. He's saying, what we have is the New Testament scriptures. This is eyewitness testimony. We didn't make this stuff up. 
And the Old Testament scriptures, the prophets of the Old Testament talked about the same thing. They warned of a coming judgment. They let us know that God was going to send his anointed representative, a Christ, a Messiah, who was going to accomplish the returning of the people and was going to be God's appointed judge over all. So he says, because we experienced this, we know with even greater confidence that what the prophets talked about was true. And so he goes on to explain that in a, a little bit more. He says, above all, or, uh, or first of all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. He's saying, we didn't make up these stories and the prophets didn't either. There was something else at work. We were eyewitnesses to Jesus' majesty and glory. The prophets were not acting on their own understanding or of human initiative. Verse 21, no, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So we didn't start these stories. The prophets didn't make this up. We saw, we were eyewitnesses to Jesus' glory. The prophets were moved along by the Holy Spirit. And this is a great picture, a great illustration, because what he's describing here, he's using actually nautical terms. And it's the idea of wind filling the sails of a ship and moving it along. Spirit and wind are the same word in both Greek and Hebrew, the languages that the Bible was written in. And so the picture that Peter is painting here is that you had these prophets and as they were recording and prophesying, yes, they were, they were writing, they were humanly active in the process, but what was happening was God's wind, his Holy Spirit was filling their sails and moving them along. I've been listening to the recent series in the Bible Project that's been talking about uh, their paradigm for how we should read the Bible. And part of what he talks about, what they talk about is that it's both a human and divine book, that there were actually people, prophets that wrote this out but in the process they were being moved by the divine Holy Spirit as well. So you can have confidence in God's word. It was the eyewitness testimony of people who were there and God's Holy Spirit was active at work in the whole process. So if you're gonna return, and God loves to return and restore wayward hearts, then you can have confidence that the scriptures are trustworthy. And then the other thing that I see here is that God wants you to know that you have forgiveness for the past and hope for the future. One of the things that keeps us from returning is a guilty conscience. We know that we've gone astray. We know that we're off track. We know that we are guilty and accountable before God. And whenever you have wronged someone, whenever there is unforgiveness, whenever there's a brokenness in the relationship, that tends to keep you away from that person and prevent a restoration of the relationship. But what God wants you to know is that you have forgiveness for the past and you can have hope for the future. In the first part of the letter, Peter again emphasizes the main theme of the letter, that he wants us to make progress, that he wants us to grow. And he says that the more that you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be. We already looked at this verse. But look what it says after that. 
But those who fail to develop in this way, in other words, if you don't continue to grow, if you can don't continue to make progress, what's going on? Those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind. In other words, since you've been pulled out of the mess that God has saved you from, keep going, keep building on that. Those who fail to develop are short-sighted or blind. The idea for short-sighted, it's actually a compound word in the original language. It means that what's in front of you is a mystery. It's two words, what's in front of you and then a mystery. And so he's saying, you're not seeing clearly what the path that God has put you on. You're blind. You're not taking into account what God has already done for you. And he explains it in the rest of that verse, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. They, uh, when you don't continue to make progress, you're just forgetting what God has already done for you and you're forgetting the path that he sent you on and the future, the path where it leads, where he wants to take you. Now, in contrast, when he's talking about the false teachers, this is what he says, beginning of chapter two. They won't, talking about the false teachers, they won't, of course, get by with it. They'll come to a bad end. Remember, the whole theme of the book is accountability. And the false teachers were saying, there's not going to be any accountability. You don't have to worry about Jesus coming back. But he's saying, no, 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 there, there is accountability and they're going to come to a bad end if they keep going on like this for God has never just stood by and let that kind of thing go on. He's assuring them that there is going to be justice, that God isn't going to just let things go on, but he is going to be a righteous and good judge. He will not let sin go unpunished. Remember back in the passage in Jeremiah, it said, for they have chosen a crooked, crooked paths and have forgotten the Lord, their God. And the prescription was to return faithless people. I will cure you of backsliding. God wants to restore those wayward hearts. But look at, notice that this is the first half of the verse. The A there means that that's the first half of the verse. The second half of the verse says this, yes, we will come to you for you are the Lord, our God. God is inviting them, return to me. I love to restore people. I love to bring them back into the fold. I love to go out and find the lost sheep and bring them back into the flock. And so the response that we see in Jeremiah is the same kind of response that I hope that we will have as well. They say, yes, they're receiving, they're accepting the invitation that has been given. We will come to you for you are the Lord, our God. And if you have never made that return, if you have never accepted the invitation of God to return, to be a part of his family, to be adopted into his family, to be citizens in his kingdom, to be sheep among his flock that belongs to the great shepherd, I'm gonna encourage you to say yes also. What does saying yes means? It means that you're committing, you're turning your life over to your heavenly father. You're saying yes to Jesus as savior. You're saying what, I, what Jesus you did on the cross, I want that to count for me so that my sins can be forgiven. You're saying, yes, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be the boss. 
I'm going to follow you. You get to call the shots. And when you do that, then he rescues you. He saves you. He pulls you out of that pit. He puts you on a new path and writes a new ending to your story. So this message is all about returning. But maybe you've never been a part of God's family. You've never uh, or maybe you have wandered and recognized that, you know, well, I went to church because my parents made me, or uh, it never was something personal and real to me. I've never made that decision on my own. Today is the time to do that. Say yes to Jesus. And I hope that you will let us know if you're making that choice. We'd love to be able to celebrate with you because this is the best decision you will ever make and resource you so that you can continue to make progress and grow in your faith. This is the way Peter talked about it at the beginning of the book. Friends, confirm God's invitation to you. When you get an invitation, sometimes it'll have that little RSVP and you're supposed to let them know, yep, I'm going to be there. And when you say yes to Jesus, you're doing what the apostle Peter is encouraging you to do. Confirm God's invitation to you, his choice of you. And when is the time to do it? Next phrase, don't put it off, do it now. Say yes to Jesus now. For some of you, it'll be for the first time. For others, you have wandered and you've wondered, is God really wanting me back? Is there really a path? Is there a way for me to chart a course back to God? And he's saying, yes, there is. I love to restore wayward hearts. Return to me and I will cure you of backsliding and don't put it off, do it now. When you do, what's gonna be the result? The verse continues, so do this, and you'll have your life on a firm footing. You're gonna have a firm footing. You're going to be secure. You're going to be confident. You're going to be productive and useful in your faith. You're going to have the assurance that Jesus has taken care of the guilt of your past, and that he has also set you on the path that is going to have a good ending. Your life is going to be better and you are going to be better at life. And that's how he continues. He focuses on the future because he wants you to have confidence in the forgiveness of, for your past and hope for the future. How's that hope described? Do this and you'll have your life on a firm footing, the streets paved and the way wide open into the eternal kingdom of our master and savior, Jesus Christ. In the passage in Jeremiah, it says you've been on a crooked path. It's a winding, twisting, difficult path. And in the scriptures, the, the way that God, uh, when God clears the way for it, it's described as just open roads, streets paved and wide open, a straight path to a good ending. And that's what he wants for you. He wants you to know that you have forgiveness for the past and hope for the future. Say yes to Jesus wherever you are. There's a way that you can chart your way back and do it now. So as we wrap up today, I want to take a moment and 
this is the point in the service where we will give you a little bit of encouragement, some specific ways that you can apply what you've heard today. So we know that God loves to restore the wayward heart. So what's the main thing to do? It's to return, to actually take up God's invitation to return. Now, there are a variety of different ways they can do that. Last week, we talked about just showing up, being a part of a church family. You Can you grow apart from your family? Well, yeah, but it's not very common and it's not as good. Just like in the natural world, God places us in families. He gives you a mother and father, hopefully, and you grow up within that family. You mature as your parents lead and disciple and, and discipline you, and you are often surrounded by brothers and sisters, and it's in that interaction that you grow. Well, in the same way, when you become a follower of Jesus, you're not just entering into a new relationship with God as your heavenly father. He places you in a family. And part of the reason he does that is because he wants you to grow. It's as we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It's as we serve one another and each of us deploying our spiritual gifts for the benefit of those within the body that the body becomes healthy and growing and full of love. So... Part of it is just showing up. If you're able to show up on site or in person, great. If you're participating online, th that's great. That's why we do this as well. But the challenge is to continue to return, to keep showing up because when you do, you're going to grow. What are some other things? We've talked about the scriptures. Well, part of returning is trusting that God is going to speak to you through the scriptures. So keep showing up when it comes to reading the word and having confidence in God's word. It's eyewitness testimony and the people who wrote it were moved by God's Holy Spirit. Now, does that mean you're going to be able to understand everything? No, probably not. Does it mean you're going to be able to explain everything? No, probably not. But what you'll find over time, I believe, is exposure to the scriptures will give you confidence in the scriptures. So that's why we encourage the life journaling process, reading and responding to God's word on a daily basis, to have that habit of reading and responding to God's word. That's part of the way that you can return. Remember, God's heart and design and desire is to restore people. The invitation is to return. And then trust that as you make steps towards your heavenly father, he's going to fulfill his part of the promise as well. He's going to cure you of your black backsliding. He loves to restore wayward hearts. So do something now. Don't put it off. Do it now. Commit right now that you're going to show up in your church family. Maybe you're watching, but you're far away and you realize that you really need a local body, a local church family that you can interact with face to face. Don't put that off. Make sure that you have a local church family that you are a part of. Return to your family. And if you're local, if you're in our area within driving distance of Concord, then we would love for you to be a part 
of this church family. And I know that perhaps some of you were apart, but you've kind of gotten out of the habit. The last year and a half has scattered people, but this is a time to restore and return and reconstitute our church. So I hope that if you have drifted away, if you've gotten out of the habit, if you've disconnected from your church family, return. Now is the time to reconnect, return, and to do it now. Show up. And as you do, here's what's going to happen. God is going to do what he's promised to do. He's going to restore you. He's going to cure your backsliding. He's going to bring you back and cure that wayward heart. And as you continue to show up, as you move towards God, as you trust him and trust the scriptures that he inspired, you are going to grow. And that's the whole point, that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's God's heart for you. That's what he wants for you. And I believe that that's what you want as well. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. That is good news because we have all wandered away. It's good news that you want to restore us, <clears throat> that you're eager to restore us, that you love to restore the wayward heart. So I pray that you would help each of us to know what it looks like for us personally to take that step towards you, to take a step of return towards you. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage each heart, that you would show, reveal to us how you are drawing us to yourself and that you would heal wayward hearts and help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.